You're listening to the sermon audio from Vertical Church Triad, a vertical church in Jamestown, North Carolina. For more info on our service times and location, visit us at www.verticalchurchtriad.org. You are loved. Yeah, so um, good, good father. What a good, good father. But can I just say, what a great, great game last night, right? How many of you lost a few years of your life last night watching that basketball game? Only two. Okay, I thought I'd get a few more hands than that. Some of you might be lying, or some of you were just uh, uninterested. This is North Carolina. Last night was important, okay? That was a big, big deal. That was a lot of fun, but I'll tell you what, we're going to have more fun today looking into God's Word and looking directly at our good, good Father. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. Real quick, we're two weeks away from Easter, so we have some Easter invite uh, mailbox hangers. I would love for you to canvas your neighborhood. They are in stacks of 25. Uh, we have already distributed over 1,500 of these things, and we are praying weekly, hopefully some of you even daily, that people might respond to the invitation to worship with us on Easter Sunday. Also, um, if you weren't here last week, we announced we have some new stickers in, some new Klingons, so you can put that on your car or wherever else uh, to promote Vertical Church. Um, here's the reason why we do these kind of things. Um, there are people that God has put in your life. He's put in your life who need to hear about him. You have the message that brings hope to hurting people. Today's message, what we're going to look at in John chapter 14, is a message of hope for hurting people. So I trust that even this message that we hear today, I pray that it'll be an encouragement to all of you and that God might use it uh, for you to maybe even speak it to someone else. So if you have your Bibles, open them up, John 14. If you have your notebook, your pen, get ready to write. We're going to get after it this morning. I don't know about you, but the past two years, our entire world, we could probably say, has been marked with challenges and uncertainties. Would we agree to that? Yeah, there's political tension. We had the COVID crisis. We're looked like for a little while we're on the brink of World War III. Marked with challenges. Marked with uncertainties. And that has nothing to do with what you might be going through even personally. Some of you have experienced some serious disappointments. Maybe it's a broken marriage. Maybe it's a job loss. Some of you have experienced the dreaded diagnosis, either personally or maybe it's a member of your family or even worse than that, some of you, and I'm in this category, you've experienced this year unexpected death. When these things happen to us, I mean, I don't know about you, but here's how it goes for me. I find myself just kind of feeling like I guess maybe the word, the only word I could think of as I was, as I was putting this together today was, was numb. Just kind of feel numb. And, and, and with that weird numbness, there's this feeling of loneliness and sadness and the desire to even maybe withdraw from people and withdraw from community and even maybe even live an unconnected life, a life in 
isolation. We're not even really sure what to do next. We're like at the family party or at the family function, and we're still feeling like these, these troubled um, feelings, this sadness that I said before. We're just not really quite sure how to even move forward. Not, we don't even know what to do next. Well, in John chapter 14, that's the disciples in John 14. Here in John chapter 14, Jesus is going to issue, it's actually the sixth of the seven I am statements. And, and here's the big idea. Before we dive into the passage this morning, I want you to have the big idea. You've you got to understand this. So important. Like this is like probably of all the sermons I'm, I'm going to preach in this series, this is the big idea you've got to hold on to because all of us are going to find ourselves in one of these seasons that I just, just described. The big idea, comfort comes from trusting Christ in the chaos. We put our trust in a lot of things when the tragedy strikes. We put our trust in medicine. We put our trust in, in doctors. We put our trust in family members. We put our trust in pastors. We put our trust in community group leaders. We put our trust in a whole lot of things. But here is the thing that you must understand. Comfort, comfort. You can experience comfort when the chaos strikes and comfort comes from trusting Christ in the chaos. Look at what Jesus Christ says in John chapter 14. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't, do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else, I believe, on the, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. John chapter 14, the disciples are an emotional wreck. The word heart, it refers to the inner part of man, the inner part of man is the mind, the will, and the emotions. This passage right here is talking about the emotions. And Jesus, he's looking to comfort the hearts of his disciples. And our Jesus, our Christ, he has compassion. Like he's wanting to help hurting people. And so he says, don't let your heart, don't let your emotions be troubled. That word troubled, it literally means don't let your emotions be disturbed. Don't, don't allow yourself to be agitated. Don't be 
stirred up. Don't be in a flutter. Don't experience those feelings that I was just saying a few minutes ago when you're like, just find yourself like standing under the shower and not moving. Don't allow that to happen. It's really this idea. It literally means soul agitation. It's an emotional heart murmur. He says, don't, don't let your heart be troubled. And, and so I, just with that description, to say that the disciples were a train wreck would be probably an understatement. I mean, their hearts were filled, filled with doubts and fear because their world is being rocked. In the previous chapter, if you go back to chapter 13, just turn a page back. Look at chapter 13. Things are moving down quickly. Chapter 13. What's chapter 13? Look at the heading of chapter 13. What does it say? What's it say? Christ washes his disciples' feet, which means what's taking place? It's the last supper. Hey, the interaction's got to get better if this is going to work for for the three of us, okay? (laughs) It's the last supper. And at at the last supper, Christ has just prophesied Judas' betrayal, Peter's denial, and the cherry on top, his withdrawal. Jesus is within 24 hours of going to the cross and suffering a brutal, despicable death. In a matter of minutes, everything the disciples thought they were building is now crumbling. That's what's taking place here. That's the context of John 14. Remember, they they thought Jesus was the Messiah. He was going to be the one that was going to lead them to to help conquer Rome. These guys had given up everything to follow him. They had abandoned their jobs. They put their relationships on hold. I mean, they fought for this guy. Even to the very end, Peter fought for this guy. Like, he whipped out his sword in the garden. He's going to do this in just a few minutes. He's going to go after a soldier and cut off a guy's ear. I mean, they were all in with King Jesus. They were even willing to confront the religious rulers of the day. That was a big deal. They had put themselves in harm's way for this guy who calls himself the Messiah, Jesus. And now this man says, he, the conquering king, is leaving and there's no plan B. But notice what Christ tells his troubled friends, the disciples, to do. What does he tell them to do? Back in John chapter 14, he says, believe. Believe, believe, trust. That's what that word believe means. It means trust. Now, really quickly, how many of you enjoyed English class in high school? How many of you enjoyed English class in high school? Some of you are the sweetest people. So the joke that I to say about you, I'm just going to withhold because Paula was here cleaning the restrooms on, on, on Friday for our church family. Can we thank Paula? So the fact that her hand is up, I'm not going to say it. I'm just going to say this. You're weird. Y'all are weird. All right. I'll leave it at that. All right. But here's what's going on. I don't want to bring too much English into this message, but here's what we need to know. When he says, believe in God and believe also in me, super important. The first believe is an indicative That's an indicative. The second believe is an imperative. So really it should be translated, or it's better translated this way, indicative. You believe in God? Indicative, you believe in God? 
Here's the imperative. Believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying. You believe in God. Indicative. Believe in me. Imperative. He's saying you have a generic belief in God who created the universe. You have a faith that he existed. But don't just have a, a, a out there kind of a faith with God. Like he's saying you can experience God right here, right now. You can experience the God who, who sees every situation, who knows your needs, who understands your desires, and who wants to comfort you in the chaos. So he says, believe in me. I'm right here with you right now to help you in your hurt. That's what Jesus is saying. And when our faith, loved ones, when our faith begins to waver, what Christ calls for is ongoing trust. You may want to write that down. When our faith begins to waver, Christ calls for ongoing trust. He says, believe. Trust. Now this week, uh, great, great uh, visual for me. You weren't at my house, but um, we're having a lot of work done on our house. And uh, we're putting in some new windows. And so the window guy was there, and he's putting in this, this huge bathroom window that, that goes right above our tub. And, and it's about 40 inches by 40 inches. And so he, he climbs up the ladder with this window, and there's this little kind of resting roof right below our bathroom window on the second store, uh, on the second story. And so what he had there on that little resting roof was this pyramid-looking type thing, and he had placed it on the roof, and so this pyramid-type-looking thing with the angle of the roof, it, it flattened out the roof. Are you following me? And so as he's climbing up the ladder, he has this thing over his head, quite heavy, no doubt, and as he's climbing up the ladder, he has to step out on this little triangle thing that's on the roof, and he has to co put his complete trust and wait in that little thing in order to move forward with the project. Are you, are you tracking with me? Are you getting it? I'm watching him doing this. I'm praying the whole time. I'm like, I don't trust that thing. I don't trust that thing. But unless he trusted this little triangular thing, he wouldn't be able to move forward. He would have been at a stopping point. And it required both feet, full weight. And that right there, that's what Jesus is calling for us to do when he says, believe in me, trust me. He's saying, I want all of you. I want both feet, and I want them firmly planted on me. And this morning, some of you, you, you walk into this room and, and you find yourself, you're, you're kind of like the disciples. You kind of, maybe you find yourself fearful over finances. You're like, how am I going to pay for this tax bill? How am I going to pull this off? Or maybe you're discouraged over some decisions. Maybe it's a job decision, or maybe it's an investment, or maybe it's a school decision, or maybe, maybe it's something going on in your marriage, or maybe you're reeling over the recent news, the sickness of a loved one, the death of a loved one. The trials are just pounding, and you feel troubled. And oftentimes, rather than turning to Christ, here, here's what we do. Rather than turning to Christ, we turn to other things. We turn to alcohol. Like the alcohol will numb the pain. 
or, or we turn to a relationship to heal the hurt, or an addiction for satisfaction. And Jesus is like, no, comfort comes from trusting Christ in the chaos. And not only, listen, this is what's awesome about Jesus. Not only does Jesus understand your situation, but he's like, I'm the solution. I, I understand your situation, and I'm here to tell you. I'm here to tell you. Good news. I am the solution. He says, believe in me. Faith in me. Trust in me. All reliance on me. And in this passage, he shares four promises to the committed. He's speaking to the committed. Remember we said there's four groups in the crowd? Four groups in the crowd. Four groups following Jesus. You, ha- you had the consumer. Those were the people that were for the miracles. They want some free lunch. Looked at Jesus as Burger King. Oh man, free lunch. That's the consumer. Then you had the critics. Those were the Pharisees. Those were the Sadducees. Those were the people that were questioning everything that Jesus was saying about himself. And then, of course, you had the vast majority of the Israelites. Those were the people who could care less. And then, of course, you had the committed. You had the 12. Jesus is talking to the committed right here. That's who he's talking to. And he makes four promises to the committed. If, you're commit- if you've committed your life to Jesus Christ, these four promises are your promises this morning for when you journey through life's chaos. Here's your four promises from our Christ. These four promises provide comfort in the chaos. Promise number one, in Christ, I have an eternal plan with the Father. In Christ, I have an eternal plan with the Father. How many of you, raise your hand, you have some vacation, summer vacation plans, raise your hand, summer vacation plans, get them high, we wanna see your hand. Get that hand up there, don't be ashamed. All right, here we go. Why do we make summer vacation plans? Here's why, I'll tell you why. Because vacation plans are a survival guide. That's what they are. They're a survival guide. It's a survival guide for the remainder of the school year, right, students? It's it's a survival guide for the high-pressure job. It's a survival guide for the freezing cold temperatures that we've had these last couple of weeks. It should be 80 right now. What's going on? And what do we do? We we create a calendar, right? And we, we start counting down the days. But not only do vacation plans serve as a, as a survival guide, but they help us co- collaborate with those who are going, right? What, what do we find ourselves doing as a family? We start researching. Here's what we're going to do, and here's the route we're going to take, and here are the pit stops we're going to make. And we, we map everything out. But not only do vacation plans serve as a survival guide or to help us collaborate on what we're going to do and how we're going to function, but they lift the spirits. It creates excitement. There's anticipation, and, and, and I would even say, as you're, as you're making these plans, it kind of like eases the life situation just a little bit. It makes you feel a little bit better. I mean, just thinking about that flow rider that you're going to be on, on the cruise ship, like, oh, that's going to be great. Or the rounds of golf you're going to play. Or, or, or the book that you're going to read as you listen to, the cra- listen to the crashing waves. Or the time with the family members. Or for moms, it's like just not cooking. I don't have to cook. Thank you, Lee. Thank you Jesus. Oh, what, what does this do? It, it reduces our stress and our anxiety. And in John 14, Jesus, he makes a promise to the committed that is meant to eliminate anxiety in the difficulty. He makes this promise to produce comfort in the chaos. Look at what he says in verse two. And I love the way Jesus talks about heaven. This is kind of cool. Just a little side note. He's like, yeah, my father's house. You know, isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, uh, like, yeah, my father's house. Like, no big deal. 
my dad's place. It's, it's really not a big thing. And he says there's, there's many rooms, meaning it's a permanent place of residence. It's a dwelling place. You're going to be there for all eternity. And, and, and listen, Jesus is saying this. The home that he is preparing, is, it's greater than an ordinary home. And it's, and it's really what he's trying to convey to each of us is like we have this place that he is creating for us that should just eliminate all anxiety. That's what he's saying there. In the moment he's about to leave them, he's making this hope-filled promise. And he's like, hey, don't be troubled by my death. And here's why. Because I'm leaving and I'm going to prepare something for you that's going to blow you away for all eternity. I mean, he's promising something really spectacular here. So, so Miriam and I... Um, in 2019, we, we go on this cruise. We went on a cruise in 2019. We went to paradise. There it is, right there. Paradise. No kids. No kids. Blue water. Blue water. Not that brown stuff that we swim in around here in the lakes. Like, look at that water. All the food I could eat on that ship. Look at the size of that thing. I ate as much as I wanted to. And, and get this, get this. This is the best part right here. Free. Some of you are like, hmm, hmm, well, yeah, man, I'm living the good life. That's right. Free. Does it get any better than that? Okay, remember that time earlier in the sermon when I was like, hey, for this to work today, like I'm going to talk and you're going to have to respond. You remember that whole situation? Okay, I need you to do something. Just something. It's usually like a yes or a no. Does it get any better than that? No. Yes, it does. <laughs> I set you guys up. You're like, this is why we don't answer. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, as long as you quit answering, I'm going to keep setting you guys up, all right? No, it does get better. Because what Jesus is promising his disciples and us, it's far greater than a week on a ship. He's promising an eternal home in heaven with him and the Father. And this home, this room has been designed specifically. This is mind-boggling. It's been designed specifically with you, Christian, in mind. What? I went on that ship. They weren't thinking about Matt McCarthy. They weren't thinking about what are the foods that Matt likes? What kind of decor in the room would Matt prefer? No, none of that, none of that, none of that. But here's what's crazy. Jesus creates the universe in how many days? How many days? Not a trick question, I promise. Not, no setup. How many days? Six. I, I was fearful that someone was going to say seven, and I was like, oh, man. All right, yeah, six days. He rested on the seventh. He made the universe in six days. And for 2,000 years, he's been preparing a place for you. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty mind-blowing. I would say that's pretty comforting. But if you're not comforted just yet, if this isn't enough, notice what Christ says next in verse 3. This is awesome. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also so to encourage their troubled hearts, Jesus promised them that he will come back for them in order to take them to heaven. 
So just think about that for a second. Think about who you are. Think about who Jesus is. Yeah. You're reading it right. He's coming back for you. And this reality that Jesus would come back for me, and it can happen at any moment, like this is our comfort. This promise of Christ's return, this should stir up hope in our hearts when we're feeling restless. Comfort comes from trusting Christ in the chaos. Are you trusting right now? Like, are you fully believing that, that he's preparing a place for me and he's coming back to get me? Are you trusting that in, etern- in that eternal plan? Are you focusing on eternity? One of the songs that my wife and I like a lot, it's an older song. It's the Lauren Daigle song. You know that Lauren Daigle song, Look Up Child? Oh man, I love that song. I love that song. Okay, get your eyes above the clouds, not, not below the clouds on the earthly situation. Get your eyes above the clouds. Start looking vertically. Think of what, what Jesus is doing for you. And it's going to provide comfort in the chaos. Notice a second promise that provides comfort in the chaos. Promise number one, I have an eternal plan with the Father. Promise number two, in Christ, I have a reliable path to the Father. Now remember, this is just hours, 24 hours before his brutal death. Time's running out. Time's running out for, for those moments where he will be with his disciples. And all of us have probably experienced people that we love and, and, and they're dying. And, and those interactions that we have, they're very special. We're saying the things that, that we want to have them take with them. And, and we want to hear from them what they want to speak to us that we might take as we navigate life without those whom we love. And what I love is notice what Jesus says in this special moment as death is near. Look at verse four. He tells the disciples that they know the way to where he's going. There's this expectation that the 12 had the directions. Like he'd been with these guys, he had been discipling these guys. But what's crazy is the disciples have no clue where Jesus is going. Look at verse four. He's like, you know where I'm going. And here's Thomas. Poor Thomas. You know Thomas, right? You know Thomas? What's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. Yeah. Doubting Thomas. Poor Thomas. Thomas speaks up. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, here's the deal. The disciples were literalists. And in verse five, Thomas is not comprehending the spiritual nature of the conversation. He's literally looking for a road. (laughs) He's looking for the roadmap to reach the destination. So he asked Jesus, how do we get to where you're going? What's the way? And in verse six, look at verse six. Verse six, Jesus provides Thomas with an answer. Jesus says what? I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So here's the sixth of the seven I am statements. And what Jesus is saying before, remember what he said before? He said, I'm the door and I'm the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Now he says, I'm, I'm the way. And Thomas is like, to what? The way to what? 
And Jesus is like, the way to everything that really matters, Thomas. I'm the way to everything that will last. I'm the way for the hope that you need. I'm the way for the healing that you need. I'm the way to heaven. Like, I am the way. I'm the map. I'm the GPS. I am the only way. And then he says, I am the truth. And Thomas is like, the truth about what? The truth about everything. (laughs) And he says, I am the life. I am the life source. I'm the life provider. I'm the life sustainer. I am your life's purpose. And then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's basically saying, I am the reliable path to the Father. The safety that you desire, the security that you desire, Thomas, amidst all this Roman oppression and everything that's going on and me leaving, like I'm the way to all that. I'm the way to comfort. I'm the way to rest. I am offering myself to you in the midst of all this chaos so that you don't have to go through life worried and just standing under the shower not knowing how to navigate life. He's saying, I am that reliable path that you need. But so many people have been misled and they don't see Jesus Christ as the reliable path to the Father. I remember, I was about maybe 20 years old, and as many of you know, I'm from the Northeast, and uh, we decided, um, there was this kind of like a warm, balmy day, and I think it was like January, mid-January, and we decided that we were going to go hiking, we are going to go climb a mountain, and um, like 40 in the winter in the Northeast is like 75 for us, like, that's a great day in mid-January, it's like, let's go do something fun. And so it was supposed to be 40 and clear, great day for a hike. And in, in the middle of our hike, this storm comes over the mountain, and it begins to snow. And when I, I, I did say storm, right? This storm comes over the mountain, and, and it snowed. And when I say, like, storm, I mean it just started, like, unloading on us. And the path, this mountain that we were climbing, had um, white markers that were sprayed on the mountain for us to follow the path, <laughs> And as you can imagine, um, do you guys know, you know, snow's white, right? And, and so the, the snow started covering the gray rocks and the little white dot trail that we were following was now covered in snow. You, some of you are like, I know where this is going and you're an idiot. Fair enough. But I did say it was 40 balmy and clear, Okay. Kind of like even this week. Like this week, it was supposed to be like 75 degrees this weekend. What happened? You know, it was one of those days. Paths covered by snow. So we had to make some decisions. We had to follow a particular path that looked right to us back to our place of safety and security and comfort and rest known as my pregnant roller skate that I told you about a couple weeks ago, the Toyota Corolla FX-16. So finally, we see a clearing. We think we're going to walk into a parking lot. And we actually, we did walk into a parking lot, but guess what? It was the wrong parking lot. And we found a map. And we realized, now, getting close to six inches of snow, we're six miles from our car. Six miles from the place where we wanted to be. Here's the thing. 
there was only one reliable path to our destination. Only one. We chose the wrong path. And I share that example with you because that's the truth about salvation that our culture is confused by. There's only one reliable path for safety and security and for comfort and for rest. Jesus isn't one of many options. And this morning, if your confidence is in a religion or good works or in your money or in medicine or health, like your heart will always be troubled. It will always be troubled. Because your health is going to fail you. And you're never going to have quite enough money. Comfort. Comfort comes from trusting Christ in the chaos. So, so the question I have for you this morning is simply this. What path are you relying on in order to be with the Father? What path are you relying on? Is it your record? Is that the path you're relying on? Like, like you just figure, hey, if my good outweighs my bad, I got a pretty good record. I'm over 500. I'm counting on my record. Or, or is it maybe your resume? Like, I've done some amazing things. Like, I give to the church and I, 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 I serve and I do some good things within the community, or, or maybe it's your own righteousness. Maybe people would look at you and say, that's a really holy person. They do spiritual things. Listen, there's, there's only one reliable path. And his name is Jesus. And he lived a life that you could not live, a life of perfection, so that he could serve as your substitution and stand before the Father, before you. And he took, as I was explaining to my eight-year-old yesterday as we were driving to Charlotte, he took his righteousness and he clothed it on you just like a coat. So now when a holy God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And now you can stand before him in heaven and have that home, and have that security, and have that rest, and have that place of comfort. But the only way you get that code of righteousness that allows you to stand in the presence of the holy God is by admitting, I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the only way for me to come to the Father. And when you believe that promise, and when you're trusting in that promise, listen, loved ones, Life is filled with hurt. Life is filled with chaos. But if you know that you have the reliable path to the Father, you know, you know that you're on a journey to the ultimate destiny where very shortly you will have eternity, eternal rest, free from the chaos of this life. Notice the third promise Christ provides in order to give comfort in the chaos. In Christ, I have unconditional patience from the Father. All right, get ready for some interaction. I just warned you. Raise your hand if you failed this week. You failed as a Christian this week. Raise your hand. Maybe you failed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Maybe you failed to obey your parents or honor your parents or steward your resources well or whatever. Yeah, we've all failed. Every hand should have been up. A lot of hands were up. Write this down. Type it in your phone. Do this. Here we go. 
I am a colossal failure. I am a colossal failure. Write it down. Put it in your phone. All right. Raise your hand if you wrote it down or put it in your phone. All right. Raise your hand. Nice and high. Nice and high. We got to see them. We got to see them. All right. I have something for you. Uh, Now keep your hand up. Don't add your hand up now. It's too late. I gave you the opportunity. Only if you had your hand up. All right, Owen has a candy bar for you, and that's your, your gift for participating this morning. I'm rewarding good behavior so I can get more good behavior. So keep that hand up, and Owen will come find you. We have another box in my back office, so keep your hand up, and he'll be back in a few minutes. Now, remember Proverbs 21.6, by the way. It's on the screen. The getting of treasures by lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. Okay, so if you're lying right now, I'm just going to leave that up. You might want to write that down too, okay? Here's the deal. Committed Christians are colossal failures. Committed Christians are colossal failures. Look at verses 7 through 11. Christ says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So basically, Christ claims deity in order to provide comfort and strengthen their faith. And so Philip responds. Here's Philip. We know him as Fabulous Philip. Why is he Fabulous Philip? Because he was, he was with Peter and Andrew. They kind of all grew up together. He was one of the earliest disciples. He was instrumental in bringing Nathaniel to Jesus. Look at what Fabulous Philip says to Jesus right after Jesus declares that he's the way, the truth, and life. He says... Lord, Messiah, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Now, now this is fascinating. In the same sentence that Philip calls Jesus Lord, Messiah, okay, he says, show us the Father. In essence, he's saying, Jesus, I need, what I need from you right now, I need a favor. I need a favor. I need a visible manifestation. I need a firsthand experience of God. Kind of like Moses. You remember Moses when you brought him up on the mountain or like Isaiah the prophet or like Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration. Like I need a physical firsthand manifestation of the Father right now. It wasn't enough for Philip to see Jesus turn the water into wine. It wasn't enough for Philip to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't enough for Philip to see Jesus, I don't know, walk on water and heal the blind man. Like Philip wasn't convinced that Jesus is God. And in verse nine, Jesus, his response isn't with sarcasm, but but you kind of see the sadness of Jesus here in verse nine. It's kind of like, really, Philip? Really? We've been together like this long? We've been doing our thing together? And, and you need to see the Father. Look at verse nine. He's like, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I mean, Jesus is just floored. And then in verses 10 and 11, Jesus tells his disciples that his words and his work reveal his divinity. And really to summarize, he says, if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe because of what I do. Believe because of what you've seen. The miracles should be a reason for your belief. But before we kind of, and I don't know about you, but when I read this stuff, I try to like, 
imagine being in the crowd and being one of the disciples and what am I going to think of Philip? Like, that was stupid to say, Philip. Why would you say that, man? But before we just quickly judge Philip, take a moment and think about the ways that we sometimes fail to trust Christ in the chaos. I mean, we doubt and question Christ all the time, don't we? I started writing a list this week as I was kind of looking at Philip, kind of weird, and I wrote down, when I lose loved ones, I fail to trust God's goodness. When I suffer financially, I fail to trust God's loving kindness. When there's a lack of physical provision, I fail to trust God's purposes. There's, there's more on my list, and I don't have time to share all of them, but I would encourage you, you need to get a list. You need to know who you are. You need to know how you're not so fabulous and sometimes a failure. But here's what's really cool about our failing. In spite of our failures, Jesus, who says, I am the Father, like he's, he's patient with Philip. Just as Jesus and the Father are patient with us and our shoddy performance in our Christian life, it does, never affects God's patience with us. And as we're going through the trials and as we're going through the chaos, when we find ourselves even failing, it's like, wow, because I've been there. I've been there a lot these past six months. Like, I know I'm going through trial and I'm not responding to it well. I find myself there. When you find yourself in that moment, hold on to the promise. That just like Philip, the Father has patience with me. And that patience is unconditional. And when we dwell on that reality, it's going to provide comfort during the difficulty. Comfort comes from trusting in Christ in the chaos. In the storm, are you celebrating that unconditional patience that the Father has extended to you? The fourth and final promise, really quickly. In Christ, I have supernatural power for the Father. In Christ, I have supernatural power for the Father. In verses 12 through 14, Jesus makes an astounding promise, not just to his disciples, it's for all of us, for all who believe in Christ. Like, this is your promise this morning. This is awesome. This is awesome, right here. Jesus, here's the promise, he will continue his powerful work in us when we pray. That's the promise in verses 12 through 14. Verse 12, truly, truly. Remember what that word truly, truly means? Yeah? You got to get this. That's right. You got to get it. Listen up. Super important. I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Like, I read this. Let me just TV time out. I read this and I'm like, come on. Really, Jesus? Like, I, remember what we said. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Put your full weight, your full trust, both firmly planted in what Jesus is saying right here. It's awesome. Truly, truly, I said to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. 
You got to get this. That's what he says. Whoever believes will do greater than Jesus did. What are those greater works? I mean, think about the works of Christ. Jesus says you're going to do greater works. Now, now, let me just say this. Greater works does not mean more spectacular. Like, don't, go to a, uh, don't go across the street over here at the graveyard and try raising people from the dead, okay? Don't do that. You're not going to turn water into wine. Jesus, what he's saying here, when he says the greater works, he's saying that our works are greater in extent and influence. That's what he's saying there. The extent of our ministry is going to be greater. The influence of our ministry, yeah, you, you Christian, your influence is going to be greater than Jesus's. That's what he's saying. It will have greater results. So think about Jesus' life, his ministry. Three years of ministry, right? Three years. How many followers? More than 12. About 120, remember? About 120 committed followers. Acts chapter 2. Disciples are in the upper room. As they're waiting, what were they doing? Remember? They're not planning. They're what? They're praying. Holy Spirit comes, empowers them. Boom. 120 becomes 3,000. And then, of course, it's game on with the church. Massive conversions. And basically, what you saw in the ministry of Peter and a lot of the apostles, Jesus is saying, like, that right there is greater than what I did. It's greater in extent. It's greater in influence. And listen, today, listen, today we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to have greater influence We have an opportunity to be better evangelists. John says the one who believes does greater works. One of, one of my favorite stories, a guy by the name of Jeremiah Lemphier, he began a noontime prayer meeting in New York City on September 23rd, 1857. He sat alone for 25 minutes because people don't like to come to pray. It's the reality. Following week, 20 guys show up. That's great. Within six months, more than 10,000 people are showing up at this prayer meeting. In just over two years, get this, because of his ministry and the people that were part of this whole thing, over one million people were converted to Christ. All started out of a prayer meeting. There was a harvest because of a prayer meeting. Hudson Taylor and D.L. Moody were influenced by this prayer meeting. Listen, Jesus overcomes our troubled hearts with himself and he empowers us to do greater things for the kingdom. And listen, when your focus is on the kingdom, when you're in the middle of the trial, like package it all together. Why is Jesus giving us this promise as our hearts are troubled? He's saying simply this, when your focus is on the kingdom and on eternity, when you're going through difficulty, you're gonna lose sight of your situation. That's what he's saying. So, so often, I find myself focused on my circumstance, which are real. They're real. But I allow my circumstance.
circumstances to dictate the direction of my life rather than just focusing on the kingdom of God and what the Lord might have next. We sang about it today. You're a good, good father. Perfect in all of your ways to us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? As our worship team comes, loved ones, we must take this passage to heart. We must believe this passage. We must put both feet firmly planted on this passage of Scripture. And when that happens, you're going to have comfort in the chaos. Christ's unconditional promises, you might want to write this down, Christ's unconditional promises are the foundation for our faith to be strengthened when life is a struggle. It's on the screen. Christ's unconditional promises, the unconditional promises from the Father, they are the foundation for our faith to be strengthened when life is a struggle. Will you put your trust in these promises this week? Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your patience with us. But most of all, thank you for your promises to us. Thank you for the reality that we have of a future eternity. Thank you for sending your son to be the path so we can have access to you. Thank you for being patient with us when we fail to live in accordance to your plan. And Father, thank you for the power that you give us to continue on and even doing great things for the kingdom even when we are going through tragedy and experiencing life's difficulty. And Father, I pray that we will cling to these promises, that they will be our foundation and that our lives might be strengthened even in the midst of the trial so that when others see us in our suffering, they see us as strong. And Lord, we're strong only... (laughs) In our weakness, we are strong because you're doing something in us. So Lord, we pray that as people see us navigate life's tragedies, that they will see you in us and that they might be drawn into your kingdom for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.